Hello and welcome to the Conflict Skills Podcast. I'm your host, professional mediator, Simon Good. In today's episode of the podcast, I'll be talking about a slightly different topic than usual, meditation. And specifically, I'll be talking about my experience meditating throughout every day for this year. (laughs) It's something that's new to me. And to be perfectly honest, if you asked me in 2022 or any year before that, what I think about meditation, I would say that it's good in principle, but I'm not the kind of person that could do it. And I don't think there would have been anything that could convince me to give it a try. So just a heads up ahead of time, if you have 100% decided that meditation's not for you, then you might like to consider just skipping this episode. (laughs) If you'd like though, I'd be happy to talk about my experience of why I started meditating and practically what do I do, the steps that I take. And then I've also experienced a number of different benefits. And as I reflect, I, I can sort of see a development, like a progression in the way that meditation has helped me. And so what I thought it could be helpful to do for you is to explain some of that because meditation is still unpleasant. Like I think about it like jumping into a cold pool. (laughs) It's like the kind of thing that you have to grit your teeth and psych yourself up and then all of a sudden go, you know, three, two, one, here we go. Uh, It's not fun. I certainly don't find it easy. And specifically when I'm trying to do meditations for a long period of time, which for me is still about 30 minutes, I find it really hard, probably in that 30 minute time frame, I would just kind of accidentally open my eyes and sometimes even unconsciously get up and start to go to the toilet or something like that before I realize what I'm doing. So I'm sometimes I'm able to stay for the full 30 minutes, but sometimes I'm not. But that doesn't matter. And I'll explain a little bit about how I think about meditation and some of those hurdles or resistance that we might come across, how we can deal with that when it happens, and then how we can almost then use this to create a positive reciprocal pattern that starts to develop. And, you know, we use this term meditation practice. I've certainly experienced that for me, it has been practice that helped me in daily life, not some abstract, I guess, very unpractical type of tool. So probably not unlike a lot of other people, I had a really unpleasant experience trying meditation at the beginning. I would describe it literally as torture. I'd done different meditation practices throughout my life. Like no one I knew did it. My parents never did it. My teachers or anything never talked about it. No, none of my friends were meditators. I actually thought most people who did meditation were probably wankers because I didn't like them very much when I met them. And so I sort of, to be honest, had a pretty negative view of meditation then just by association of the fact that these people (laughs) I thought were kind of nuts or pretty annoying were, were doing it. Um, And so I I probably had assumed that it was stupid or silly or not very helpful or that there was some otherness, you know, I couldn't, I wasn't the kind of person that could use this tool or it's not the way I thought about it. It wasn't a tool. I thought about it as like a spiritual practice or something. So if we think about what meditation is, for me, the starting point is just to try and sit quietly and sit still, close my eyes and focus on the present Sometimes this is called mindfulness meditation. You're just focusing on what's going on for you right now. The anchor for me often is my breath. I take very long, deep breaths out, emptying my lungs, which I find helps me to start to calm down, breathe in again, and then try and lengthen each of the exhales as I'm breathing. Using my nose is more effective than my mouth. And I try and notice the physical sensation of breathing, which bits of my chest rise and fall, which other parts of my body change when I'm breathing in and out. I don't 
particularly find it easy to have my stomach push out when I'm breathing. I know a lot of people, when they start meditating, they get told something like that, do tummy breathing. And it's like, okay, well, I've never really figured out how to do that. For me, you know, if we think anatomically, the lungs would expand down. So I suppose that would push out your tummy. But my guess is that maybe my gut's a little bit more generous in size and padding than other people's might be. So I can't see it coming out. I'm not sure. Uh, but for whatever reason, I just have never had that happen. But it just, it doesn't matter. It's just breathe and notice what's going on. There's no way to fail. If you literally get distracted and go and do something before the time that you've decided, like I'm going to meditate for five minutes and you get up distracted after three, it doesn't matter. Just when you've realized that's what's happened, it's almost like waking up, you return to consciousness and you remember, oh, I was meant to be meditating. Just go back and sit down and start again. It's like showing up every day is the way that we get progress. There's no magic aha moment of enlightenment and the clouds part and the the sunlight comes through. Uh, we sort of develop progress through consistency. And so when you realize that you're distracted or you've gotten up without deciding to or something, it's fine. Just that's what's happened. So notice it and, you know, be a little bit curious. Okay, that's interesting. That's just happened. I don't remember deciding to go and get a drink, but here I am in the kitchen. I'll put it down now. I'll go back and finish the meditation. Then I can come back and drink after that. So I didn't like all of this experience because I think that I had a, a sense of failure because I wasn't doing it right or it wasn't working for me. What I didn't realize was that this was actually the practice. This is what we need to get good at. It is incredibly uncomfortable sitting still and trying to clear your mind. That's the point. But we can almost develop the strength, the ability to get better at doing that through the practice of it. It's we practice something to get better at it. And what happens is that we develop first it's self-awareness. You realize what's going on as you're sitting there uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortably. You can almost zoom in at a more granular level to what it is about this situation is making me uncomfortable. Physically, like I try and sit with my legs crossed, but I can never make it through the full 30 minutes. They get too sore. But I've gotten able to do it longer and longer and one of the ways that I've done it is just really increasing self-awareness at that granular level. Like as my leg's starting to hurt, I pay attention to it and think which bit of it specifically is hurting. Is it the muscles or the tendons? How would I describe the type of pain? Is it a, a cutting type of pain or throbbing? Is it constant or does it change over time? Interestingly, I've noticed it does tend to ebb and flow a little bit in terms of the pain. I've noticed that paying attention to it or not paying attention to it changes how intensely it feels. Maybe just a very slight adjustment in posture. Like if you imagine you're trying to sit cross-legged on the ground, um, pushing your chest forward a little bit or rolling backwards a little bit, putting your lower back on the ground or closer to the ground. Those types of changes impact how much it's hurting. A slight shift to the left and the right sometimes gives me a little bit of relief and that lets me be able to sit for another 30 seconds before I have to stop. It's really interesting that zooming in on the discomfort and really adding detail and particularly around the context and how that contributes to it, like, oh, you know, I'm, I've actually noticed sitting on carpets a lot easier than sitting on tiles like I did yesterday or how we can influence what we're feeling just by paying attention to something or not or explaining something or telling us that it's just 10 more seconds 
or self-talk, like, hang in there, I can do it, you've got this, stay calm, it feels uncomfortable, there's not going to be any lasting damage, there's not going to be any pain. If you can get through it for another couple of minutes, then you can rub that bit of your leg and get the blood pumping through and you'll feel better again. It's like all of this extra ability that we discover in our capacity to influence ourselves, which then, that self-awareness, leads to self-regulation. We then become more able to control our behaviours. There is no way in January of this year that I would have been able to sit still cross-legged for 30 minutes. I couldn't sit cross-legged full stop. That I had to start just sitting in a chair and I could not do 30 minutes. I managed to do 10 minutes, but that was a very chaotic, scattered experience. And I'll explain a bit about what happens in my head in a moment. Um, and the way that I've been able to get better at meditating is just by being consistent. It's by doing it every day. And when I had a rough one, I got really distracted. We had the neighbors knock on the door or something and I had to go and attend to something like all of these things have happened and they would for you too, if you tried meditation as well. And it's just, that's, that's all part of it. That's all fine. It's noticing what happens when the doorbell rings and that tensing in my stomach and that clenching of my teeth and the immediate thought of, oh, for goodness sake, you know, Jimmy, you were just here yesterday. Do you have to come every single day to play with my son? This is like an automatic reaction sometimes that happens to these incidents. And what I've discovered, this is the second step of learning, is that that encodes the memory in a particular way. The way that our memory works is that we have explicit and implicit memory. Explicit's like the facts that you would remember, like what's the capital of France or something like that. But implicit memory is stuff like muscle memory. But it's also associations and connotations that we develop. Like we feel warmth for a particular person. We think of our mum and we remember particular events throughout our childhood that have painted her in that way, I guess. And so when we remember an experience like a Christmas morning or when we were homesick from school or when this disaster happened or something, we've probably encoded a whole bunch of feelings in with that memory. And so when we remember it, we remember it, we re-put it together again, we're re-experiencing it. We tend to go and relive some of those same memories. So for me, when the doorbell rings, if I have this automatic response of this is ridiculous, these kids shouldn't be bothering me, I was just trying meditation, that'd be right. This is exactly the kind of thing that happens to me when I try and do self-care or I try and meditate. Obviously, the universe doesn't want me to do meditation. Like this just goes in an instant. <laughs> but interestingly, when I meditate, I become more aware of that process. It's almost like I hop in the helicopter and I can see what's going on in my head and these automatic thoughts that are coming up. And then what that does is it gives me the opportunity to just, I guess, challenge them and check them and decide whether or not they're useful and am I overreacting here and making too much of it? And importantly, is this in line with my goals? Like I really do want this afternoon to be peaceful and calm and there's a number of things I have to get through because I'm pretty busy. And so I don't want to be stressed and wound up and tense. I, like I'll say that again, I don't want to be stressed and wound up and tense and what I'd realized in 2022 was that, was that that was the way I was living most of my life. Stressed, wound up and tense. And I bet if you asked anyone I've worked with or anyone that knows me, my friends probably wouldn't describe me like that, but my family would. They'd say I've been pretty stressed, wound up and tense. <laughs> and as I'm becoming more aware of these automatic thoughts that are contributing to how I feel like this in each moment, it gives me an off-ramp. 
it's like an option, a way out, a parachute that I can pull and just slow down the descent here, buddy. Let's just calm down and take a few deep breaths as we walk to the front door so that we're not wound up and full of adrenaline when we open it in a hurried rush and we snap at the kid. You were just here yesterday, mate. Like I've done that and this is the worst side of me coming out. I would much prefer to be gentle and respectful and calm and kind and just walk down and say, G'day, mate. I'm so sorry. I was just in the middle of something. Can you come back in 30 minutes or so? Like he's rung the doorbell. That's out of my control. I can't rewind time and fix it. All I can do is decide how to respond. And unfortunately, I think in a lot of situations, I've just tended to react. And as a professional mediator, I've noticed again and again the negative way that this contributes to conflict developing up. I wonder for you, as you listen to me explaining this and thinking about some of the more stressful conflicts you've been in, how your own reactivity may have contributed to that. I'm not saying you need to let people walk over the top of you and you should never stand up for yourself. There's situations you need to be firm and say no and tell Jimmy that now's not the right time to go home, please, mate. But you can decide how to do that, which achieves outcomes for the relationship, like that kid likes me, respects me, I'm hopefully being a good role model for him in how to deal with conflict, etc. But for me, I come back then a little bit more settled, a little bit more calm, and I find it a little bit more easy to go back and try and finish the meditation than if I hadn't been aware of this automatic buildup of stress. So that's the next thing that meditation teaches you is the impact of your thinking and these automatic stories that you're telling yourself or the physical buildup of energy, like just sitting there agitated and doing a quick stretch or shaking to let go of some of that kinetic energy that's built up means that I can concentrate better or I just need to have something to eat or I need to go for a quick walk around the block just to settle myself and clear my head. I'm much more, again, self-aware of those things building up and then I can take steps to do it, which is the self-regulation bit. So I've really enjoyed that. That's sort of been like the second level of benefits for me is almost taking control of how I'm feeling and how I respond to different situations. I'm not perfect. I don't at all have 100% control. I'm still reacting and negative and nasty at times, but I'm certainly improving. And when it happens, I can almost immediately realize what has happened and then take steps to quickly fix it and say to someone, I'm so sorry, I think I've probably overreacted there. That probably sounded a bit full on. You wouldn't realize this, but this is the 10th time I've had to deal with this issue today, but that's not fair. I shouldn't take it out on you. Would it be okay if we rewind and and start again? Can you tell me a bit more about what's going on and I can see what we can do to help? A lot of the times, if you can quickly repair that type of damage that you've done, it doesn't leave lasting scars. Whereas if you're grumpy and rude and you walk away and realize what you've done, but by that stage, you're in the car driving home, you don't have the opportunity to correct it then the hurt sits there and it can build up and fester and get worse and the other person ruminates and then they come back angry and upset at you and I guess then the question is, can you tolerate their reaction or if you snap back and you get angry and respond in kind, then this is the way that things often start to go downhill. The third level up, the next level of benefit for me has been becoming aware of my thinking patterns As I'm sitting here trying to meditate, let's say I try and do it for 10 minutes a day at the beginning, Um, I would sit in my chair in my my room that I use as a home office and I'd try and empty my mind or to be honest, I didn't really know what I was meant to do. I guess I'd think about it as emptying my mind or trying to be present or paying attention to my senses or concentrating on my breathing or something. 
I'd try and concentrate on something and then within like literally less than 10 seconds, my mind would be thinking about something else. Sometimes it would be imagining conversations that could happen from the past. Like I was remembering something my wife said or my son or the neighbor or one of the clients that I'm working with. And I would replay it, explaining to them about why I was right and why they're being unfair and thinking about just how incredibly embarrassing it was when that person asked a difficult question and I was running a training workshop and I looked around and everyone was staring at me, waiting for me to respond. It's like we remember, we relive these experiences, we play them out in our head, we sometimes add to them. This is what I would say to them if I was there right now. But we don't realize that we're doing it, we re-experience it. A lot of the time, these memories that bounce back at us are the most traumatic ones. It's stuff where there's been physical pain or physical threat, or it's felt like things were really out of control, or it's been social pain, like embarrassment or rejection, like getting something wrong. For me, I always ruminate and remember if I've done a training workshop and like nine people wrote 10 out of 10 amazing and one person gave it a six out of 10 or a seven out of 10, I think about that six out of 10 and seven out of 10 because I'd I'm not a seven out of 10 kind of facilitator. I, I really do put in a lot of effort and try to make sure that things are focused and on point. Of course, rationally, I know that them giving a seven out of 10, they just might be the kind of person that gives things a seven out of 10, even if it's excellent. Or maybe they're on a performance management plan at work. Maybe there's something else going on for them. Maybe they've got a baby at home and they haven't slept well. Maybe they've heard it before and so for them it wasn't as practically useful but for other people hearing the content for the first time it was. Like I don't go through the process of rationalizing and adding context. I just relive it and think 7 out of 10, I'm a failure, why am I even doing this? Oh, I knew that that was going wrong, I should have done this differently and I, I beat myself up about it. Now these memories that tend to bounce back, this is implicit memory And it's been encoded where the memory is connected to the negative emotion. The memory is encoded to the negative emotion. So if we're going for a job interview and we mess up a couple of questions, the memory is connected to the feeling that we're feeling at the time, which is probably embarrassed or overwhelmed or self-conscious or ashamed or whatever it was, worried about failing it. And so when we remember it, we re-experience that negative memory, that negative emotion, I should say, which then reinforces it. If we don't become aware of this, what tends to happen is that we feel worse and worse and worse over time. Sitting here, remembering a negative experience, I start to feel worked up and negative. And then if someone rings the doorbell, I'm more snappy and reactive. And what I'd never realized was the way that ruminating on negative stuff from the past was affecting me in the present. I used to think I had ADHD, I can't concentrate. I mean, that might be true, (laughs) but I've realized that so much of what was contributing to me feeling stressed was thinking about negative stuff that had happened in the past, like that client that I didn't get or that mistake that I made yesterday, which made it really hard to concentrate. And so I've become more aware of this pattern, which gives me the option to respond. What I've realized is that these bounce backs from these memories of the past I can't stop them. They're like waves that are just coming in over the water and I'm sitting here in my boat and they're bouncing me up and down and breaking over the top and it's really scary. All I can do is calm myself down in the present, which stops it from bouncing back as much from the past. So those memories that have been encoded in this traumatic type of negative way, I can almost re-encode them. 
by calming myself down and reminding myself that that's in the past, there's no benefit of worrying about it now, and reminding myself of that was an incredibly difficult situation for everyone. You weren't prepared for that conversation. They came and talked to you on the spot. You had already had a really difficult day that day, so you weren't at your best. Your boss had told you to keep it confidential, so you were in a tough spot because you weren't sure how much information to disclose, which means that the way that that conversation went really pear-shaped and horrible isn't all your fault. We can re-encode our memories by challenging some of the thinking patterns or becoming more aware of the feelings and calming ourselves down in the moment. And in that way, the the past memories stop bouncing back at us so often and so violently. We can also, in the present moment, stop that memory from being encoded in such a negative way. If we're in a job interview and we mess up a question, taking a few deep breaths, wiggling your toes and feeling the feeling of your socks in your shoes, noticing the temperature of the air, is there any sound outside from the birds or whatever, just a very quick refocusing on the present stops it from being encoded in that traumatic way telling ourselves something like, okay, that probably wasn't the best answer. Right now, the best thing for me to do would be to focus on the next question. I can go back and think about that one later. Just reorienting yourself, deliberately taking control of your consciousness. And of course, your ability to do that increases when you do something like meditating every day, because I've practiced for 10 minutes every day, controlling and refocusing my consciousness choosing what to focus on rather than letting my subconscious just run away like a wild child, just causing mess <laughs> and making a, a lot of actual pain and discomfort for me to experience, unfortunately. We also get waves coming from the future. And so that's like we're thinking about the job interview that's coming tomorrow. And again, we can almost decide how much of this to ride and spend time with and how much of this just to let go. For something that's coming in the future, and when that stuff pops up into my mind when I meditate, I try and just refocus, but then after the meditation, that's a bit of a clue that I might need to do something about that, I think. Like when these thoughts are percolating away, it's something important that's coming and so it makes sense that I should focus on it. But what I don't want to do is to just get stuck worrying. Again, that just contributes to a buildup of cortisol and stress for me in the moment. I start to feel more and more panicked, more and more overwhelmed, more and more like it doesn't matter what I do anyway, this is just going to be a complete failure and I feel hopeless and helpless, and then it all just gets bigger and uglier and nastier and more stressful. Ironically, that probably means I'm not going to do as good a job at the interview tomorrow because I haven't slept well, and then this cycle continues, and it certainly was for me. So when these thoughts for something in the past come up, for me, I try and orient on what I can do, and that tends to be plan, predict, and prepare. When I've got a job interview coming, I've got a difficult conversation I need to have tomorrow, I've got a mediation I'm running with two staff members, plan, predict, prepare. I just try to focus on those three categories. Prepare might be like writing notes or getting the data straight or having the introduction dot points down, having the room set up, that kind of thing. It could even be physically preparing yourself, like taking a few deep breaths or doing exercise or getting your lunch ready so you've got something healthy to eat through the day so you're not experiencing a big drop in blood sugar halfway through. Uh, plan, how am I going to deal with this issue? How am I going to approach this? Like what would be most helpful? Like right now I've got a job interview tomorrow. 
what I might do is go through previous questions I've been asked, do a bit of research, take some notes, put together some dot points so that I'm not talking about things off the top of my head. Uh, plan, predict, prepare. If we orient ourselves in this way, it just tends to mean that we can actually make progress and we're not as likely to feel overwhelmed because we're focusing on the things that are within our control that we can actively focus on. Taking it seriously is fine, but other than that, just sitting there worrying, that's the kind of stuff that I try to stop myself from getting stuck in. My mind will worry about the job interview coming tomorrow. It's scary and it's stressful and we've got this response for dealing with threats throughout human evolution, so we're stuck with it. You know, it's antiquated hardware, our brain and our body, but what are you going to do <laughs> until, you know, Elon Musk and everything else fully invents robotic replacements, then I suppose we're still stuck with this organic organism for now. Some of us tend to be quite fond of it. I know I, I quite like my organic organism, but I suppose at some point I could be convinced to opt for a replacement. Uh, but what, so you can't stop your mind from thinking about this thing coming tomorrow. It's a threat. But what you can do is to stop yourself getting more and more worked up and more and more stuck focusing on it when those waves come to us. So just let it go through to the keeper. Just let it go. Just realize what's going on. This is a wave of a threat that's coming tomorrow. All I can do right now is plan, predict and prepare. Aside from that, what's going to be most helpful for me is going and kicking a soccer ball with my son or having something to eat or going to the gym or setting a reminder in my phone if there's something I need to do and then dealing with physically what do I need, just letting out the adrenaline, physically shaking, something like that. So that's been the progress for me in meditation. The next level where I'm at at the moment is I think something like what I might describe as personal development. It is kind of who am I? Like, why are we here? What's the connection? Even the connection to other people and the connection to the universe. I've noticed after meditating every year, uh, every day for a year, I feel more kind towards people. Like I tend to be a little bit more forgiving and I'm still not exactly sure how come that's happening, but I like it. I, I find it to be a good thing. It makes me less stressed and angry and upset in general. And I, it's also, of course, very helpful for improving relationships with people around me too. Um, so I suppose I, I just wanted to share that because if you've never tried meditation, it just seems so foreign and weird. I know these days it's a lot more common and there's apps and resources and classes and they talk to kids about it at school. But in my experience living in Australia, in both cities as well as regional areas, it's not that common. There are people who meditate, but a lot of people don't. And I do a lot of conflict resolution training with construction companies, for example. And what I've noticed is that a lot of people have just become petrified. If I say something like, you know, this particular breathing technique really works. Andrew Huberman talks about it. There's a lot of research around it. It's similar to what you would do in yoga. Some people say, yoga? Mate, that's woo-woo nonsense. I'm not, you know, we don't have time for that, mate. That stuff doesn't work for me. And it doesn't seem to matter how many resources and research and et cetera people hear about, it doesn't shift it for them. And it certainly didn't shift it for me. I mean, I've got a degree in psychology. I've studied self-care and well-being, and I still haven't decided to apply it consistently myself. But what sometimes works is hearing a story. For me, I read the book Lighter by Jung Pueblo. That's his pen name. And that made a difference. That was the impetus for me to start meditating and so for you, I hope that one or two of you maybe hear this podcast and you'll decide to give it a try. I'd start with 10 minutes a day, just sit quietly in a room, 
focus on your breathing, focus on your other senses, notice those thinking patterns and how those stories from the past and the future tend to come up automatically and then how you can just reorient yourself back to the present gently. It doesn't matter if you stand up. It doesn't matter if you get distracted. It doesn't matter if you don't make it. If you've totally failed and it's too late to recover that session, just come back the next day and keep going. Progress happens with consistency. So if you're not able to be consistent, there won't be any chance of progress. If you can keep showing up every day, that's where you'll start to see some of these benefits. I'd love to hear from you what your thoughts were about doing the podcast in this slightly different way. I think for the next few episodes, I'll come back to more specific tools related to conflict. I was actually thinking about maybe another episode on de-escalation. I know a lot of people are finding if they're managers and leaders at the moment, their staff are much more worked up and tense and things seem to be a little bit more strained than maybe two years ago. Potentially the cost of living increases, political unsettlement, um, there's probably a number of different factors that are contributing to that. But what I thought I could do is just talk about some strategies that you can use during conversations or to set the atmosphere within an office just to help people feel a little bit more calm, a little bit more composed and a little bit more settled as they go about their day. Thank you again so much for listening. Bye for now.